Hi, and welcome back to the Absite Smackdown podcast. And today, we'll explore the adrenal review for the Absite. We hope you enjoy this. And remember, there's an ebook out with uh, all of the cartoons and pictures and related content to the adrenal glands. And here we go today with the adrenal review for the Absite. Welcome to the Absite Smackdown podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, interesting Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Remember, the adrenal cortex is mesoderm, and the adrenal medulla is from neural crest ectoderm. Extra adrenal locations for neural crest ectoderm include retroperitoneal rests and the organ of Zucker candle, which is located at the aortic bifurcation. Remember that the adrenal has a cortex, and cortex is ancient Greek for bark. And that's because the cortex is on the outside of the adrenal, like bark is on the outside of a tree, and the adrenal also has the medulla. Now, the cortex is divided into three regions, and you probably remember the old mnemonic device GFR, glomerulosa fasciculata reticularis. And of course, the adrenal is right near the kidney, and so GFR sort of works there. The zona glomerulosa is the first up, and that makes mineralocorticoids like aldosterone. Kahn syndrome is hyperaldosteronism. Hypertension and hypokalemia are typically seen uh, with Kahn's, and patients will have weakness, polydipsia, and polyuria. Salt load suppression test is the test here that uh, where we salt load a patient and uh, the urine aldosterone stays high. You'll see an elevated aldosterone to renin ratio with cons typically greater than 20 to 1. On BMP, you'll have a low serum potassium, a high serum sodium, and metabolic alkalosis. Now, primary cons has a low renin, and in those cases, an adenoma is the cause about 85% of the time. Now, in secondary cons, there's an elevated renin, and that's more commonly seen than primary. Uh, we typically see it with CHF renal artery stenosis, etc. Hi, it's Jessica, host of Absite Smackdown podcast. Follow the hashtag Project Smackdown team on LinkedIn, Insta, and Facebook. On LinkedIn, check out our page, Absite Smackdown. On Facebook, we're at Absite Smackdown. And follow us on Insta for a new Absite fact and photo every day, where we're at daily.absite.fact. Hashtag Absite Smackdown. Aldosteronomas, well, they're most commonly uh, solitary. So most commonly we see a single adenoma about 70% of the time, and there may also be bilateral hyperplasia instead. That's seen in about 30% of cases. We see hypertension, hypokalemia, and a non-GAP metabolic acidosis. Serum aldosterone and serum aldosterone to renin ratio are elevated, and if the aldosterone to renin ratio is elevated and there's a discrete unilateral mass present, we perform an adrenalectomy. Now, if the aldosterone to renin ratio is elevated but there's no mass or there's bilateral adrenal lesions, we can consider adrenal vein sampling. So if sampling localizes to one side causing the problem rather than the other, we remove the ipsilateral adrenal. Now, if there's no localization, uh, the treatment is medical and we start spironolactone. Aldosterone is released when stimulation occurs from the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system and when there's a decreased blood volume. 
we uh, see increased sodium resorption in those situations at the distal nephron. And uh, both potassium ions, so H+, and uh, potassium ions, so both hydrogen, H+, and potassium ions have increased secretion. And so we can see hypertension, but also hypokalemia and metabolic alkalosis. Zona fasciculata is the next up. And here we have uh, glucocorticoids, typically cortisol. Pregnenolone is converted to cortisol when stimulation from ACTH occurs via enzymatic conversions involving three hydroxylases, 21, 11 beta, and 17 alpha. Adson's disease, or low cortisol, uh, most, uh, most commonly is caused by withdrawal of exogenous steroids. Now, the most common primary cause overall is autoimmune disease, but you can also see it with decreased aldosterone. The test to determine whether adsense is present is cosinotropin stim test, where we give ACTH and we measure serum cortisol at different time intervals. Acute adrenal insufficiency may also be seen, and that's where we have refractory hypotension despite pressors and fluids. So one of the tip-offs for acute adrenal insufficiency, which is surprisingly prevalent in the ICU, is refractory hypotension. So patients are euvolemic, well-resuscitated, they're on pressors, but they're still hypotensive, consider adrenal insufficiency. And there are others, like challenges in weaning the patient from the vent and certain other subtle signs. Uh, There are arguments about whether treating adrenal insufficiency changes mortality, but the bottom line is those are the signs to clue you in uh, for how to find it. We uh, give dexamethasone, and that will not interfere with the cosinotropin stim test. There'll be more on adrenal insufficiency later on in our talk, in our review today. The Absite Smackdown Podcast. Visit the Smackdown at absitesmackdown.com. Remember, Waterhouse-Friedrichsen syndrome is adrenal insufficiency owing to adrenal hemorrhage, and that may be seen with sepsis. Cushing syndrome, or hypercortisolism, is most commonly due to exogenous steroid dosing. And there, we measure the 24-hour urine cortisol and ACTH. If ACTH is low and the cortisol is high, the patient has a cortisol-secreting lesion. If ACTH and cortisol are both high, the patient has pituitary adenoma or an ectopic source of ACTH. So in those cases where ACTH and cortisol are both high, we do a high-dose dexamethasone suppression test. If the urine cortisol decreases, the patient has a pituitary lesion. If it doesn't decrease, there's an ectopic ACTH source like small cell lung cancer. Zona reticularis is the next zone up, and here sex steroids are made, like dihydroepiandrosterone, or DHEA. This results in the eventual production of testosterone, and that can come from DHEA or 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone. Remember, the adrenal medulla is the next step up, uh, or deeper, and the adrenal medulla has uh, chromaffin cells where endogenous catecholamines are produced, and these are produced from tyrosine. So the amino acid tyrosine plays a central part in the pathway to create endogenous pressors. The pathway is typically tyrosine to L-dopa, to dopamine, to norepi, and then finally epinephrine. Tyrosine to L-dopa is the rate-limiting step, and that's controlled by tyrosine hydrolase. PNMT, or 
phenylethanolamine, N-methyltransferase, is an enzyme that converts norepi to epinephrine. And that PNMT enzyme is only found in the adrenal medulla, so that's the only place this can happen. Typically. Byproducts including VMA, or uh, vanillyl mandelic acid, uh, and homovanillic acid are made uh, in this location. Uh, and in the adrenal medulla, monoamine oxidase, or MAO, is the enzyme that breaks down catecholamines to form VMA and homovanillic acid. There are certain key anatomic findings about the adrenal also. Remember, the adrenal is supplied from three locations, uh, via the middle adrenal artery, and that comes from the aorta, the superior adrenal artery, typically from the phrenic, and the inferior adrenal artery from the renal artery. Now, these are all highly variable, but that's the typical setup. The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown, the only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and pick it up today. Most blood that eventually enters the cortex actually passes through the medulla first. And interestingly, usually there's only one adrenal vein on each side, but not always. And on the right side, the adrenal uh, veins, uh, or vein, drains directly to the IVC. On the left, the adrenal uh, drains to the renal vein. So on the right, right adrenal, directly to the IVC. On the left, left adrenal to the renal vein. Next, let's talk about incidentalomas at the adrenal. These are adrenal lesions found when the patient's worked up for other things, like a pan-CT scan for a trauma patient. These lesions may be functional or non-functional, and they may be benign or malignant. Now, the malignancy risk can be appreciated by size. Less than 4 centimeter lesion has approximately 2% risk of cancer. 4 to 6 centimeters has an approximately approximate 6% risk of cancer. Greater than 6 centimeters has an approximate 25% risk of cancer. 5% of lesions in this area are metastatic lesions. The strategy is typic, uh, typically to rule out a functional mass first, before size criteria or anything else comes up. We rule out a functional mass first with urine metanephrines, VMA, catecholamines, urinary hydrocorticosteroids, serum potassium levels, plasma renin, and plasma aldosterone levels. Foreboding CT scan signs include a lesion over 4 to 6 centimeters, one that enlarges over time, or one that has a non-homogeneous appearance. Chest x-ray, mammogram, colonoscopy, these all may be performed to check for primary tumor if a metastasis is either really suspected or confirmed. Metastasis to the adrenals, well, where do they come from? Well, lung cancer is most common. Breast cancer, melanoma, and renal cell cancer can all be causes. We biopsy lesions, especially if there's a cancer history, but we do it after ruling out a functional lesion. So we don't biopsy lesions until we rule out a functional lesion. And that's when we're looking particularly for metastases when we're talking about possible biopsies. Hi, this is Jessica, host of Absite Smackdown podcast. We're prepping new episodes for you weekly on Absite content, facts about the test, and useful tools to help you do your best. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com for the latest and best tools today. Now, non-functional lesions over four to six centimeters, we really just remove those owing to cancer risk. So sort of the biopsy of a non-functional adrenal lesion that's over four to six centimeters is actually excisions, removal. So rather than needle biopsy for lesions over that size, we remove them. 
the use of the laparoscopic approach has been decreasing the size criterion when it comes to addressing these lesions by excision. So as laparoscopy becomes more and more popular for these, the criteria, the size criteria we use to take out non-functional lesions has been coming down. Now, if you decide to follow an incidental adrenal lesion over time rather than resect it, repeat imaging every three months for the first year, followed by yearly thereafter. Next up, let's talk about congenital adrenal hyperplasia. This is most commonly due to lack of 21-hydroxylase. We see a decreased aldosterone and decreased cortisol. We see virilization as well as hypotension. There's a decreased sodium and an increased potassium, typically, and we see an increased 17-alpha-progesterone. Alpha we also see an increased androstenedione, and we see an increased testosterone. Next up, adrenal insufficiency. Again, this is seen typically in up to 30% of critically ill ICU patients. Uh, primary adrenal insufficiency is due to failure of the gland owing to stress, atrophy, hemorrhage, like that Waterhouse uh, Friedrichsen syndrome. And symptoms range from subtle, like weight loss, hyperpigmentation, abdominal pain, to severe, like hypotension despite pressors. We may see decreased sodium, increased potassium, and a non-GAP metabolic acidosis. Here we perform the cosinotropin stim test. Last up, pheochromocytoma. This comes from chromaffin cells in the medulla. Right-sided lesions are more common and extra adrenal lesions are more commonly malignant. Now the most common location is the adrenal gland, but we can see them in other places like that organ of Zucker candle. And if you see one there, again, it's extra adrenal. So it's more commonly malignant. There's a rule of tens here. 10% are malignant, 10% are bilateral, 10% are familial. Remember the MEN syndromes that we talk about elsewhere. 10% are seen in children, and 10% are extra adrenal. Pheochromocytomas are associated with von Recklinghausen syndrome. And remember that kind of funny medical school mnemonic that chromosome 17 is uh, the nidus or causal for uh, von Recklinghausen's. And the joke there is that Von Recklinghausen's has 17 letters in it, and chromosome 17 is chromosome 17. It makes it easier to remember. But the bottom line is there are others besides von Recklinghausen's that are also associated with pheo, like Sturge-Weber and tuberous sclerosis. MIBG scan will identify the location if you're unable to see these lesions on CT scan. 24-hour urine metanephrine is the best test, but also send VMA. Now, the, les the lesions typically... Uh, do not respond to a clonidine suppression test. The pre-op, periop, and intra-op care of these patients often comes up. Now remember preoperatively to volume load the patient first and give alpha blockade like prazosin or phenoxybenzamine and then add the beta blocker if arrhythmias or tachycardia are seen. Some patients won't even need the beta blockade. Whatever you do, don't add the beta blockade before the alpha blockade or the patient may develop hypertensive crisis with stroke, MI, and heart failure. Nipride and neosinephrine, as well as antiarrhythmics, should be readily available during the case, and typically that means prepared and hanging and ready to infuse. Remember, during adrenalectomy, ligate the adrenal vein first to avoid spilling catecholamines during uh, lesion manipulation. So thanks, there you go. Hope you found this adrenal review useful and share it with your friends. 
Uh, there's both this podcast version and the ebook version available. Uh, we'll put the link in the description. But uh, bottom line here is hope you found this really useful and that you're studying for the app site and your practice is going well. Have a great day. Best of luck. Thanks for listening to the Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit us at absitesmackdown.com for more great Absite facts.